Hello, people. Welcome to Techno Social. If you like what we're doing, then please consider liking us on YouTube and on your podcast provider, sharing our content round, and generally telling people about it. And maybe even consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash techno social. Let's go. I mean, sounded like you were ready to start going. So metal, what the fuck's going on with it? Um, yeah, sure. So, so my my basic pitch is I'm trying I'm trying to uncover um, the ideology that's in metal. Um, I th- I think that metal is more than a subculture at this point. It's been around now for more than fifty years, um, and in that time it's cohered to a worldview in a way that a lot of other subcultures have um, struggled to do so. Um, and we've had metal studies as an academic field for the past kind of 30 years or so now um, with sociologists and cultural anthropologists um, sort of taking, taking stock over what metal is and how it seems to function. Um, but what, we're ultimately left with in a lot of cases are um, analyses that can define the symptoms of what metal is like they can you know we can go to a gig and we can see the way that people interact with each other we can look at conversations we can talk to people about their experiences but pointing to uh, an underlying worldview or something that pins this all together that project is still relatively untouched Mm. What is this worldview, if you could summarize it in a few points. My My basic stance is that metal is um, an existentialist uh, response to late capitalism that arises in a hedonistic slash creative response. That, that's, the, that's the most kind of mechanical way we can look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously we I can't we, we should probably delve a little further into what exactly we mean when we're talking about this. But yeah, so, so my, my 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 basic point is to try and uncover yes this this metal ideology, and from that we can start to paint a picture of what we might term a metal subject. Mm, so, that uh, an interesting place to start with that is thinking about it as this response to late capitalism beginning in, I mean, it's hard to draw definite points, right? But it's generally agreed that Black Sabbath started something that wasn't going on quite before them. And that was late 60s. Tony Iommi was a a metal worker in Birmingham, which is quite well reputed to be a shithole even now. Right, right. So you, you, we're this. This is very interesting. In fact, I I, I wrote a paper about um about the kind of mythos that surrounds Birmingham um as as a city as a metal city because there are a lot of things about this that are very appealing. I think this is something I want to return to later. But um yeah, the 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 way that uh, metal responds to late capitalism, I think, is um primarily driven by this 
utter revulsion towards industrialized society. You can see that all over uh, like the corpus of metal artists work, like everything from, um, yeah, from, from Sabbath, where they're dis on, on War Pigs, for instance, on their second album, Paranoid, they're talking about the, you know, the vagaries of um, the military industrial complex as it's ravaging Vietnam. And this is like in 1971, or, sorry, not, not even then, not 1970. And you, then you can trace it all the way through Metallica and the, basically the whole of thrash metal, all of death metal. There's a consistent critique of society that's happening there. Um, what's interesting to me as well is that metal, while it appears to be somewhat politically bifurcated, um, as we've got some portions of metal that's known for being very, very right-wing, uh, in fact, so there's national socialist black metal is, is an, its own subgenre. Um, but the majority, I would say, in my opinion, in my opinion, to my knowledge, through my experience, I, I have not done the demographics yet, um, to my knowledge, most people in metal tend to fall to the left. But what I think unites both sides is a radical desire for wide systemic change. A, a, a not, not, just, um, not just new programs, but a transcendence of the current form, I think, is, is, is the thing that underpins it all. What, whatever's, whatever your position in whichever socioeconomic uh, circumstance you end up in um, or you're positioned in, if you're into metal, it's a firm rejection of those normative values that you're surrounded by and, yeah. a, and a desire to kind of see some upheaval and, mm. and massive change. Um, do you think that metal is something that exists in opposition and in relation to late industrial capitalist societies or do you reckon that it is also held together by perhaps something deeper more diffuse more transcendental see i i think i think there is something slight that there's something deeper to it um but it it can't ever be extricated away from late capitalism because those are the conditions that it's incubated in and you know these are the material processes as well that it has to engage with you have to go to a studio you have to pay them money you have to make the money mm -hmm. potentially you have to buy you have to have money to buy the equipment at the very least you know very, very good point we're, we're, we're always going to be tied up in these processes but I think the desire for transcendence and the desire for something deeper that uh, that in itself is mm -hmm. one of the defining characteristics of metal is a yearning for transcendence i say it's 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 the being able to survey your current circumstances being able to su survey the world you know which wh whichever country you live in whichever however you fall in the socioeconomic ladder and being able to look outside and think this is absolutely disgusting <clears throat> and this is and that's going to motivate me to perform uh, to to engage in this performative turning away from normative values mm. and uh, and attempt to develop uh, one's own culture that's kind of discreet from normative culture and in fact completely counterposed but as a, but as i say again we metal is still positioned in opposition to hegemony without mm -hmm. hegemony we may find ourselves in an odd position um, as, as metal artists. You know, what would happen if we had nothing to critique? What if we had nothing to complain about? Mm, so there's something here that, and I'd be interested to hear what you think on this, because my sense is that 
metal is very powerful as a critique, as a negation, but it doesn't seem to get beyond just positing itself as a kind of bubble of otherness. Mm-hmm. And when I, you know, I'm thinking there's a great actual um, blog online that I've referenced in the podcast before by a guy called David Chapman, where he traces the history of subcultures. And he's talking yeah. about the initial first wave of subcultures, which was broadly speaking, kind of hippieism on the left and then evangelical Christianity on the right in the mm-hmm. state. Yeah. Both sure. had a strong universalist tendency in them. What that means, they were both in their own way trying to unite everybody towards one thing, whether it was one love, peace, and chillness, or whether it was God. The next wave of subculture, yeah. which we can see in more punk and heavy metal indeed, resolved the failures of the previous generation by giving up on the universalism and saying, we're going to do our own thing and it's going to give us an identity and a place outside of hegemony, but we're going to be less concerned with actually changing the hegemony as just kind of pointing out the flaws with it and moving ourselves away with it. Right, that, that's a very, very interesting point. Um, to that, I would counter, for me, metal, there's a, there's, a, there's a musician called Arthur Brown who was a, he was a psychedelic musician, um, but he pioneered a lot of performance techniques that metal musicians use. Like he, mm. he wore corpse paint and he had this incredible like operatic vocal range and he screamed. And this was all in the late 60s. When he was asked what he saw himself as, he said, we're like dark hippies. We're like an inversion of hippies. And that's, that I think is what metal... Uh, that, that I think is what metal kind of represents. It's, it's the acknowledgement of the failures of the psychedelic era to, to, a, to a great extent. Um, it, it, by, by the end of the 60s, Woodstock has evaporated and literally at the end of 1969, you have Altamont, which is this terrifyingly poorly run concert in which like multiple people die because the Hells Angels ran the security and, and the whole dream... <coughs> Uh, the, the whole universalized dream, as you said, that, uh, that uh, a musical movement could change the world en masse seemed to disappear. But that was 50 years ago. Metal is now in a point where the culture is entrenched. And in fact, we've developed such systemic critiques that are so detailed in some cases. There are some artists out there who are so adept at identifying the root systemic causes in the world that they live in that we can actually say there are people in metal who have projects. There are people in metal who can foresee a world that is better than the one we live in. But right now, it is ours to describe a litany of horrors that, that, that we can see every day. Um, whether I think this is approaching a realistic project, I think is, I'm right, I'm right on the beginning of this of, of kind of studying whether that's a possibility my my hope is to identify that metal could potentially be identified uh, become a social block effectively something that's more than a subculture something where the worldview is actually recognized as binding um the fans together in a more substantive way than merely cultural preference it's interesting that binding together of people according to a worldview. Um, we spoke to to Benjamin Teitelbaum, and he's he's also a, a person who studies head, uh, black metal, and he mentioned something that to me speaks of the shamanic qualities of of metal, and that was 
um, he was he was naming some characteristics, and among them, he spoke about the unintelligibility of vocals, which had some moments that yeah, yeah. does have a shamanic function, and, and that was kind of a the the background of my first question. So when I asked, uh, is there something deeper transcendental in metal? Maybe I'll reframe it. Maybe I'll say, is 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 heavy metal? Uh, does it have ancestors, and where do they lie? You mentioned oh, something. Oh, sure. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, if so I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Terence McKenna um, and his, his archaic revival um, thesis sits very nicely here, I think. Um, metal draws on what we can call a mythic wellspring, as it were. We've got the entirety of history, the entirety of world myth, all of fiction to choose from in our source material. And what we are able to do is recombine very, very disparate elements. Like a, a classic example would be Nile, who are a Florida-based band that exclusively write about ancient Egypt. That's all they write about. They are combining disparate elements in a very postmodern way to create new, powerfully meaningful stories or descriptions or evocations that Yes, I, I, I would say there's a, there's, a, there's a definite kind of quasi-magical element to metal. Mm. Um, I, this, is, this is something I think about all the time. Like when, when you go to a gig and you see three guys or, or, or three, apologies, three people standing on stage with the amps, they are magicians, basically. They've got the, they've got the command of massive, massive amounts of electricity. That is magic in its way, especially the, the, the ability to change to with a, like a subtle movement of your hands, you can make people feel things. That is, for, for sure, that is the same as shamanic ritual. Absolutely. Then, yeah, we can go into the vocals as well, because I, I, I think we, we want to, if we want to talk about magic, one of the things we have to talk about is obscurity, because that's all that esotericism actually is. It's, that is what occultness is. It's secrecy, obscurity for its own sake. And in death metal vocals in black metal vocals, we hear a deliberate obscurity. It's mm -hmm. trying to make it's trying to make it harder for you to find that meaning, actually. Um, and in a way that makes the community stronger. Because if you have to go and listen to the lyric, if you have to go, sorry, if you have to listen to the song and you have to go and read the lyrics afterwards, you have to try and find out what they actually mean because you didn't quite hear them when you were listening to it first time. That creates a far more meaningful relationship between you and the lyrics than if you have the luxury of being able to hear them as you do in pop songs and potentially mishear them. But you're not going to bother to try and read the lyrics if you think you know what they are. Whereas in metal, the barrier is set. You have to meet them. You have to raise yourself up. You have to perform mm -hmm. an extra bit of intellectual labor. And that intellectual labor is, that is meaning. Intellectual labor can, very easily be equated to meaning. And, and, and do you think that there's something that metal speaks to in the human soul that other genres of music and subcultures do not? Yes. I think the, one of my principal concepts is that metal is deeply existential and primarily concerned with mortality. The, the death appears in every subgenre of metal without exception which is remarkable. And, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm talking stuff as light as Bon Jovi or Motley Crue are deeply bound up 
with the futility of existence, the shortness of life, how easily it can be taken away, which only can result in hedonism for these musicians. That is the mm. only option left, because when life is so short and so fleeting and the circumstances to which you're born are so dramatically oppressive in so many, in so many cases, if you're offered a bottle, just take it. <laughs> that that that's the that I think is the is the practical output of metal is that we 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 feel about death a lot. Everybody that likes metal thinks about their own death to that's, a great to a greater extent I think than people that don't, and that re and that uh, results in this kind of hedonism. That's very important. That's very important. Uh, you know, McKenna himself said that psychedelics are a way to meditate upon death or there was probably some philosopher that I don't recall the name. He said the same thing. The philosophy mm. is ultimately meditating upon death. And it feels very interesting that at heavy metal um, focuses specifically on that existential layer on death as a concept. It hinges upon death and, and everyone, the whole theatrics of it feels like a death um, culture. Yes. It's very interesting. It's Thanatos. Completely. Um, the, 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 the weird way is how many deaths are described, in fact, because like death metal has this kind of surgical glee in painstakingly describing every single characteristic of the way a certain surgical tool could kill you. Mm. Or you. Or you have doom, which is concerned with the melancholy, the qualia of, of living in spite of futility. Or you have black metal, which is this kind of screeching absolutism. It's trying to... It, it, black metal is where um, I think death metal gets most philosophical. For it, 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 Black metal is almost metal trying to understand itself in a lot of ways. They're, they're trying to draw out what is heavy, what is kvult. You know, they're the people that are sketching these boundaries for the rest for the rest of the metal community to sit inside. Also, also they think, because these people are these people are pretentious to no end. I say that as someone who is who like I like black metal. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but I, I they they have a tendency to disappear up their own asses on occasion, and burn churches, and that's not worth condoning. <laughs> there's something fascinating to unpack there in the fact that black metal did start burning churches mm. it's because it, it's essentially terrorism it's essentially what did dylan oh, i agree it as? he was like it's it's i think he once said that black metal is basically scandinavian musical isis I would agree with that. Um, well, so, so second wave to an extent does have some of those qualities for sure. Um, they are like ISIS counterposed in total nihilism because, and this, this is something that, this is something that I, I um, encountered when I was reading, I was reading, so I was reading uh, Forget Foucault by Baudrillard a, a couple of months ago. And there's a section in there where he talks about the aesthetics of fascism and he completely nails what black metal is in the same paragraph. And he says, it's, it's an aesthetics of death. Uh, focus on the word aesthetics of death. We are, we are seeing death performed out for us in fascism. We are seeing an, 
we are seeing a non-past uh, attempting to be brought back to life. We're, we're talking about a mythical past, an, uh, a past that is completely defined by the present moment, and they are trying to drag this past, kicking and screaming into the now. And that's what black metal is trying to do as well. And that, I think, is why... But, but, and, and in the, but you've, got, you've got a link here. Fascism and black metal also have this interest in the obscure and the occult. They are interested in something that is older than Christianity, something older than normativity. That's, that's and, a, a, sorry, go on. And, 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 that's, and that's why um, I think they both have this terrible yet mystical allure that draws people to them because it's hard not to be impressed by all this iconography, by something that seems so um, capital G great and capital P powerful. But I'm a materialist. And my thought is you should actually point at the scrawny rat face looking men that make this stuff and you will see it for what it really is, which is a terrible screeching out of the world, an attempt to reconcile their absolute hatred and misanthropy um, with an uncaring world. It's mm. so interesting. It feels like there's perhaps two ways to do a death cult. One of them is by wearing leather leather jacket and having skulls and crossbones mm. and and blowing up half of the world or blowing up some someone's eardrums which is the, the interesting connection between the Nazis and black metal. And then on the other hand, you, you, you have the death cult as something more refined um, or rather less, less, less following that specific aesthetic. And I'm talking about um, the mechanics of this world and, and, and the philosophers of this world. It feels like from different sides, one perhaps from, the geopolitical side, another from the musical side, the black metal, and other people from philosophy and other people from psychedelics, they're kind of converging around this, this center point that might be called death. It's kind of the limit event or something like that. I, yeah, I, I, think, I think we're always going to be attracted to this. It's the ultimate negation. It's the, in, in, in many ways, it's the, it's, a, it's the biggest transgression that, that a human body can commit is going from life to death. Mm. And metal is completely fascinated with not just death. Death, I think, underpins it all. But metal is interested in extremities and transgressions of all kinds. But death stands, uh, stands atop them all. Nothing in the human experience can transgress like not being and I th and that that's what that's what pulls it all to this to this one point. Interesting. But I think that I, yeah, I say that there are multiple perspectives in metal around death, and some of them are more yeah. You you have you have the black metal approach, which is more nihilistic, and then you have the doom. Then you have people who are in, you know people who like stoner metal, for instance. Um, that I would say tends more towards absurdism, and there we can see the kind of existentialist spectrum fully played out. Mm. Which you know, now I'm coming back to my initial question though about this: Will metal become something utopian 
as it were. Like, can this dialectical shift be completed from just negation and into death? Right. That... Because I, I think, I mean, we clearly see the formation of community around this aesthetics of death. Hmm. And, you know, it's, it's but, fucking powerful. I've, I've but, belonged... but the question is, where, do, where can we go from here? does it need to go anywhere right is it right comfortable in being a kind of i sometimes use the phrase we're talking with daniel spiritual paracetamol as something that is like a it's a painkiller for some of the worst excesses of neoliberal capitalism sure sure without being the unworking of the thing itself and normally i use that critique with regards to a lot of the new age movement, some of the psychedelic movement, people mm. who like to go and sit in Vipassana centers and stare at the wall for 10 days. Right, then, right. Yo, and I guess something I'm trying to figure out is where does metal fit in here? Right, because, because when people do metal, when you go and interact as a metal fan, a lot of what you're going to be doing is sitting on an outdoor table in a pub drinking and smoking, which isn't necessary which isn't from the face of it productive labor so that might be something that we have to we kind of have to arrest ourselves in you know although we're very critical of of a lot of the things that neoliberalism neoliberalism has created although we're very critical of various um, oppressions all over the world although we're critical of actions that have you know individual people's actions all over the world we're still um as i say we're still part of the spectacle we're still part of consumer culture so how do we elude this? Um, my, my proposal is that metal's kind of insistent straining at these boundaries, this wanting to push past the norm normative values, wanting to push past normative social structures. We are now at the point, we are now at a tipping point for metal where it has gone through a process of emergence and development and full reification and now it is a reified cultural thing like 30 years ago i would not have been able to get a job with the hair length that i have the piercing that i have in my nose and my preferred t-shirts i would not have been able to get employed in a white collar job at all but i until recently was working in marketing doing exactly that that was that you know that was last year We've come a very, very long way. And what we've seen is a culture that has remained incredibly coherent, whereas other cultures have diversified, um, become slightly more co-opted in the case of punk, is, um, or have, or have uh, you know, just faded away. Um, metal has retained its coherence for, for such a long time. And, it's, and, and the critiques have become more substantial as well in this time as you know the way to think about it it's like um it's like bitcoin mining in a way you can only be you can only have one person to write the first song about the charge of the light brigade and that happened to be iron maiden you know there can only be one band that does the trooper there can only be one band that does um an epic song called master of puppets about cocaine abuse you know once that piece of information is there we go we have to do more we have to go and find new combinations and 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 as metal has diversified and, and as the internet has allowed a huge multiplicity of bands to uh, produce and and distribute their 
to distribute the music, we've now started to fill in so many of the gaps that we're starting to get like a developed theoretical critique. Um, once you start reading across all the bands, and especially once you speak to these musicians as well, they've got developed critiques all of their own. So I think we're beginning to get to the point where metal can actively start defining itself as a social group that has a project. And that project, to my mind, would be best, um, uh, would be best evinced as uh, a very radical uh, leftist project that seeks to pretty much overturn all of the normative social hierarchies and replace them with, well, with oddly enough, my preferred economic system, which is anarcho-communism. I wonder, I wonder why I think that metal should do the thing that I would like it to do. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me ask you something. Um, the, the, the consistency of metal culture across a variety of different bands and, and, and places in time, I mean, it's decentralized. However, it is also consistent culturally. Yes, yes. Uh, what do you think that is due to? I think it's codification. Um, there's a, there was a time where if you were in a heavy metal band, you didn't have to wear black. And that era stops right when Judas Priest get into their, get into their kind of mid-70s career. As soon as Rob Halford develops the full-on denim and leather aesthetic, that is, it just clicks like that. And suddenly everybody's doing it. By, by the time the new wave of British heavy metal starts to emerge in the late 70s, Saxon literally put out a track called Denim and Leather. Like, it, it, that aesthetic becomes very, very cemented, which supplants a sort of a semi-glam, semi-psychedelic, semi-gothic aesthetic that bands like Black Sabbath had been uh, pushing around before. I think what's the, the reason that the codes are so well entrenched is because it allows, once again, it allows you to radically demarcate yourself as other. Yeah. By establishing a code that is, that, that seems very, that, and, and also it speaks to power. And power is something that metal also, to an extent, fetishizes. Not, I think, mm. in the same way that it fetishizes death, though obviously we, we need to look at. The, the symbolism of black and the importance of yeah the, the importance of wearing like hard wearing working class type materials like like denim and leather that that also has to be considered um, though on the other hand you also have to point out the fact that Rob Halford imported leather culture from um, homosexuality from homosexual BDSM culture and leather culture and he pulled it straight into metal pretty much with nobody noticing at the time uh, for its origins and this was able to this this was able to basically out, outgrow itself and become this very very defined aesthetic i think there's some people have said um people like metal because they like there, there's a collector's aspect to it where you can have it's not just you wear a band t-shirt you have as many band t-shirts as you can possibly have. You have a jacket that's got the patches on it as well and you can infinitely customize. But in, in doing so, each step, again, demarcates yourself away from normativity. It offers a code that easily makes you recognizable to other metal heads, but is basically inscrutable to a passerby. And that's what all subcultures do. You can go back and look at the way the mods or, um, or punks do this in the same way. Like you're, you're using your clothing, you're using your style to indicate 
to the in-group, your in-group, who you are, and to indicate to all other groups that you are not like them. So that's, that's, a, kind, that's a very important kind of social function, I think, that arises out of that. Um, symbolically, uh, I think wearing all black makes me feel, personally, like I'm a hole in the world. And, and I'm, I think I'm just attracted to negation in that aspect. I th I th that if, if people were quizzed in, but for long enough in the same way, we might get similar conclusions. Again, I would have to speak to them. Um, it feels like that, that a lot of the, here's, here's my thinking. Um, a lot of what has happened in, you know, since 45 from, from 45 onwards has had a lot to do with the negation of previous norms. As you said, there's been this process as postmodernism developed, as capitalism developed, as technology developed, this process of freeing things, freeing love from the normativity that was imposed on it previously, freeing individual rebellion and, and giving it uh, sort of a placeholder and, a, and, and sort of a vessel on which it can subsist. Um, and I can't help but to think of, of, of Alistair Crowley, uh, especially him, namely him, uh, as maybe not the, the only figure, but one of the key and, and most noticeable figures in this, in the beginning of this process of negation, because so much of what he was all about and his experiments and, and his writings and all that, they were kind of a personal experimentation on negation, on the destruction of norms. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I'm, I'm insisting on this idea of there being a spirit to metal. Uh, rather, I, I know you're a materialist, but, uh, and, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll discuss the, the way this, these metaphysics of these spirits hypothesize onto reality in a way that isn't really uh, contentious. But my whole point being that that process, which was started previously perhaps by, by Crowley, finds itself feeding into metal. I mean, Black Sabbath have, have a song called... Yeah, exactly. Crowley, Ozzy you even have... Yeah, you, and you even have these... Or, sorry, yeah, Ozzy Osbourne. And you have also these, these characters like, like Jimmy Page, like circling around these, yeah. these, uh, these topics so very much. Again, the shamanic, the transcendental. But it is a shamanic and a transcendental. That's not about... You know, sometimes it's neo-pagan. It's about neo-folk, uh, neo-volkism, as you can see in Scandinavia. Yep. Sometimes it's about pure uh, adversarialism. Yes, sure. I think metal, uh, I've mentioned before, metal kind of fits into the, the sort of secret histories, if you, uh, the, the, um, the kind of history of radical ideas and radical art movements that kind of persists all the way through the, certainly can be found persisting all the way through the 20th century. So it is part of this secret history, but as I said before, metal is very much uh, a postmodern musicking. We, we're completely defined in fact by postmodernity because metal doesn't have any corollaries outside of the postmodern era. It's mm. entirely contained within the post-45 um, uh, mode. Yeah, absolutely. And this, mean, this means that we're aware of the fact that um, meaning has been, uh, you know, compromised. Or, or, or the, you know, God is dead. We're, we're fully aware of that when metal starts to happen. But we're still fascinated with these 
arcane symbols. We're still interested in spirituality. We're still interested in trying to find this deeper meaning. So there's a lot of self-mythologizing that goes on in metal. And this is the thing that I wanted to talk about from Tony Iommi that we mentioned earlier. Tony Iommi uh, famously had the tops of his fingertips sliced off in a metal factory in Birmingham, and that caused him to detune his guitar, and it also caused him to put on these fake fingertips that, um, that made a different sound to the sound that real fingers would have made on a guitar. And people use this as a way of saying that metal the substance is deeply bound in to metal the music, and that is an incredibly appealing idea. You should also look at, there are some very odd things about the way that metal is able to self-mythologize. Like, for instance, mm. the most famous metal band in the world is called Metallica. They're literally called Metallica. It's in the name. Or the fact that the first Black Sabbath song on the first Black Sabbath album called Black Sabbath starts with a funeral bell and then immediately leads us into a tritone, which is uh, the, the devil's interval. It's the first metal song and we're immediately de being defined mm -hmm. by the tritone. That's almost eerie how synchronous it is, right? Fucking fascinating. Now, 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 now I'm, I'm, very, I'm interested in synchronicity. I think it's fun and very cool when you, when you observe it. But I think... Metal has a massive tendency to try and develop a mythic aura around itself because it's precisely because it's aware of the loss of meaning going on in the world around it. But in our world, we can try and make meaning. We can really work on the process of developing meaning. We can, we can write lyrics that are so bloody obscure that you have to read them in order to understand them because not only it, um, are the words being, you know, pronounced gutturally so that you can't hear them properly. But even if they were just being spoken, you'd need a thesaurus to understand it. That's very death metal. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar yeah. with the work of René Girard? Um, not properly, no, though I know the name. So he gives an interesting way to resolve the conundrum of spirituality and God and luminosity within what I would say is a materialist framework in that mm -hmm. so the basis of his theory the mimetic theory is what it's called is this idea that humans we tend to copy each other and we tend to desire in a way that copies one another which inevitably leads to conflict because in a situation a small society that say there's like a certain number of water bottles and i want a water bottle which means you guys end up wanting water bottles and once we start running out of water bottles a, there's competition for the resources, but then we start copying each other in competing each other as well. And so we just end up escalating conflict. And the conflict is ostensibly about a water bottle, but really it's about the fact that you're pissed at me and I'm pissed at you and neither of us really wants to back down. Yeah. And this can lead to a situation of escalating violence and all against all. And the way that primitive societies learned to resolve that was through finding a scapegoat a figure onto which to project all of the social disorder and turbulence. And we say, that is what is fucking us up. If we just get rid of it, then order will be reestablished. Mm. And he reckons it worked. And that was the genesis of the idea of the sacred. 
something, some kind of object, some kind of figure that has this power to reunite the warring factions of the community. And for that reason, it's sacralized. But the flip side of that is that it is also the thing that all of the disharmony and the evil was projected onto. And so there is this double fascination around this figure of the scapegoat with it being transcendent and unifying, but also profane and disgusting and dark. Yeah. I, perhaps metal is able to achieve synthesis there. I would point out that metal loves the profane, absolutely is, is fascinated with the profane, but uses the profane in order to shore ourselves up to develop barriers against um, against a, a tough outside world that is difficult to navigate, where 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 hip hop sees a neoliberal society and says the only way is up. I've got to navigate my way through this to get out. Metal sees the world and says, I have no intention of ever engaging with this. It's it's a it's a far it's it's a rejection less a less a uh, uh, an integration or, or yeah or, or, or a willingness mm. to engage in that system of competition um so i i think i think it has the potential to 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 yeah be transcendent in its profanity i think we when when uh when metal musicians and metal fans talk about the way they engage with profanity a lot of the time it's done with a sense of humor there's a lot of there's a lot of comedy to be had in the disgusting, in the lurid, um, and that too binds us together. But it's, it is through this examination, this examination of themes that normative society does not want to discuss, often explicitly. You don't want to talk about death in polite company. You don't want to talk about um, massive capitalist oppression. You don't want to talk about foreign wars. You don't want to talk about Agent Orange. You don't want to talk about cancer. <laughs> These are things that cannot broach the polite society that metal so despises. I think it is important as well to, I, I briefly want to touch on a metal's class character while we're here, because mm. although hip hop, um, as I say, hip hop looks to navigate up. And I think that is, that arises from its particularly working class position. If you have enough um, resources to have a guitar and an amp and a bedroom where you are in relative comfort and you can while away writing riffs, you know, you don't, you don't have to go out and sell anything. You, you know, you don't have to go out and sling crack on the streets because you have enough money at the very least to have an amp and a bedroom. People in hip hop, you know, that were living in the projects in the 80s didn't have that. They had a boom box that they could play tapes on and toast over. That's a completely different set of material circumstances. And so metal over its 50 year plus lifespan has gone from something that started as very, very working class to something that now has less of a class character. You find metal fans from across the socio-political spectrum, from, uh, not socio, uh, the socioeconomic spectrum. You find very, very working class metal fans and you find people like myself who were raised in uh, relative comfort. You, what you don't find nearly ever is uh, metal fans in the bourgeoisie proper. In the petty bourgeoisie, sure. Not in, not in the actual ruling classes. That, I believe, would not make much sense. <laughs> 
Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just important to note that, um, yeah, me metal does have, metal kind of has gained this sort of middle-class reputation, but I think that it has the potential to kind of get past this if it, if it needs to, and often it does get past this. Um, but nonetheless, it's something that we should be aware of in, in the scene. And it's something that it's something that I kind of turn over a lot, especially uh, as I said, as myself coming from middle class background and engaging in a culture that um, totally, totally fetishizes working class um, uh, fashion stereotypes and behaviors. Like if, if I'd if I'd cleaved to the um, to the normative path that was set before me during my childhood, I wouldn't be a smoker. Um, I certainly wouldn't smoke cannabis. Um, you know, the, the, these are things that alternative culture, you know, in, in represented by metal in this case, pulls you towards, you know? Mm. <laughs> Let me throw a, a theory at you that's something I'm still kind of working through in my head. And so, It'd be interesting to critique it and pull it apart. But I guess you could sum it up with this idea that the band itself is a product of individualist culture. The way a band performs, there are a few people who are supremely talented at their instrument. And within the performance, the focus is directed towards the stage. Everyone's looking at the few performers there's a kind of unidirectionality towards it. They play out mm -hmm. and the, the audience looks up and can at times create these kind of cults of personality around bands or indeed band members. What I see in, in some aspects of underground dance music culture, not everywhere, but say to certain aspects of the techno scene, as I, I sense a slight moving away from the individualism that is projected onto the performer, which is not always the case. Like the mm. cult of the DJ is still very much a thing. Yeah. But I think in a lot of clubs, you get a vibe where it's very dark. The audience isn't really focusing on the stage, if there is even a stage. Hmm. The, the directionality of of the of the audience is much more fluid. People dance in different circles in different directions, and there's also the remix component of the music itself. Rather than DJs necessarily playing their songs that the audience will know, the DJ stitches together a flow of many other musical forms and sounds that is totally spontaneous and improvised and that triggers a kind of spontaneous improvisation in the crowd. My, my theory is that this is kind of moving away from the individualism and bringing us closer to a kind of music of Deleuze individualism, where it's less about focus and people and flows and movements. Yes, yes, sure. Now, when you go to a metal concert, it's not like going to a dance concert in terms of the number of people who are there that are themselves musicians. This is something that I think is very important in metal. The, it has a disproportionately high number of fans who are also producers in the scene in some way. Uh -huh. If you, you, you might be, nearly everyone that I know that likes metal plays guitar or sings or plays drums, 
And then if you can't, if you're not musical, you might be a graphic artist, you might be a producer, you might be a promoter, you might be doing any number of other things along the way. You might work for a label, you might run a podcast, but everyone in the metal scene engages very directly with what, with, 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 with the scene. They make the scene. Um, in a way that's not really seen in a lot of other genres. Now, this is kind of because um, certainly when I'm talking about metal, in a lot of cases, I'm talking about specifically extreme metal. I don't, I, I almost don't count bands like Iron Maiden or Slipknot as metal in the same way that uh, an underground band is. They've had, they've been corrupted. You know, they've had, they've had decades of of big label money thrown at them. It doesn't, they they live in a world that is so far removed. Um, but uh, it's, I, I, I completely see your point about the kind of lionization of individual musicians. I would point out that there are quite a lot of bands now that, uh, where the musicians have alternate identities. Um, the, the use of corpse paint, or in the case of bands like Sun, the use of grim robes to disguise your identity on stage, to, to kind of detract away from the individualization of musician and put more emphasis just on, certainly in Sun's case, literally just the intensity, Deleuzean intensity of sound, pure power, pulsing through your body, making you a complete object for, yeah. for, but, for but a moment. Because um, it's, it's so peculiar, like with techno, it's anonymous, it's dark, you are a cognitive machine, it's a flow where identity gets to solve the individual disappears. Maybe, oh, and that's why, you know, art and subcultures have this gift of being able to see the future. However, the, the, the rituals inherent in perhaps the metal culture are quite different. You have a few priests who deliver a ceremony for other people who are also perhaps gifted in the craft and understand what's happening there. So they're maybe perhaps more in tune with, you know, the tritone that he just played or the double drum fill, whatever. It's, and, it's like a magic it's like a magic yes. circle, basically, because, because my, my, point, my point being that the average fan, the average concert goer is going to be able to look up at the stage and not just see, if you go to a rock concert, you go, you're a fan, you look far, far up because the stages are very high. You go to an arena concert, those stages are a long way away. You look up for five meters or more. You see that mm. man, there's a big fat spotlight behind him. You lionize that man. You go to a yes. metal gig, an underground metal gig, 200 cap venue. They are standing maybe a foot above you if, if that. You can look the musicians dead in the eye and think, next week, I'm actually going to be on that stage. Which you cannot do in nearly every other scene. Apart from punk, punk also kind of has that vibe to an extent. But punk... Um, without wanting to sound too harsh, is a lame duck at this point. Metal is, metal is, the, metal is the one to bet on. Um, <laughs> um, but you, yeah, you, uh, the people in the crowd are themselves creators. So this is, this is a circle of shamans. We are all gathering to engage in some kind of invocation. And although it looks like we're trying to get to some kind of arcane past or drag this arcane past back into the now. I think, I'd say, we are postmodern cultural practitioners. We're taking the whole of the sum of the parts. We're taking nearly all of culture and redistilling it into powerful new statements that, in the best examples, 
are leading us forward and are showing us the ways that we can actually go back out into the world and redevelop it. It's very much a craft of the, you know, when you were talking about everyone in the, in the, in the audience having this musical ability. So like it's also there's a big aspect of a craft uh, that everyone kind of gets initiated into as yeah, opposed to totally. the passive absorption or consumption that we find in other uh, subgenres and that's and that's very interesting sure to, yeah no so I, I, I mean you can you can look at any number of things to sort of see that sort of cultic initiation I mean like you anything from growing the hair buying the jacket uh, yes. etc you know um having to explain to your friends and co-workers <laughs> why um you're wearing the stuff that you're wearing having to explain to them what a blast beat is knowing full well that they neither care nor understand <laughs> the, the these it is, it is like craft it is like witchcraft or or or, or yeah shamanic practice in that respect um but I, I, I say I think it, it's 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 shamanism for late capitalism. Yeah, we, we we've but and and now I say we're at the point where the shamanic tribe can start to fully push away, and and even start to get back to the point where we can influence the world because the people the people that you know, were making the first waves of grindcore back in the late 80s, you know, this incredibly politicized metal. Those people are now in their 50s, you know? These people are now, the, the listeners of that time, they're now middle managers, borderline senior managers. With every generation over, you know, we, we, we see these very, very abrupt cultural shifts it happens almost, you know, every, almost every 20 years, you know, you get, you get a generation of people that have grown up with a certain social normativity being kind of dissolved and then, and then they get there and they're able to finally kind of sign it away. Metal is, has had two generations as it were to entrench itself. And I think now, now that, you know, to, to self mythologize, the very fact that I'm at the point where I'm considering that metal is a social block should be sign enough that metal is becoming a social block. Truth and is, that is, that, is so, that is somewhat circular reasoning, but on the other hand, that is what has kind of propelled metal all this time is this, this knowing there is very little inherent meaning around the world, uh, in, in the world around us. So the only thing we can do is shore what little of it we have up and try and make it blossom into something that, that you know, transcends its, transcends its parts. Something, some, something in the music that gets beyond just the fact that you're playing a guitar. There's something, there's something unearthly, the, the heaviness. Mm. The den or density. Um, intensity. You mentioned Deleuze earlier. I've, I've been I've been puzzling over De Deleuze's kind of take on intensity. It fits so well for metal because he defines intensity as difference, and that's perfect already because metal is all about radical differences. Mm -hmm. um, but also, when he talks about aesthetic intensity, he talks about how good art should be this tour of sensations, drawing you from one intensity to another, contrasts. 
are 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 this are this beautiful fruit that emerge from from radical differences all stacked up against each other constant breaking and reintegrating of flows and metal is all about that all about intensity in in both those senses mm, and it's not afraid to shy away from or rather yeah it doesn't shy away from aggression pain death as we've already said which are it revels in them ideas that have been common to pretty much all religious systems until we get to the religion of enlightenment rationality and modernity and then we just kind of sweep all that shit under the carpet and go yeah that shit doesn't really exist and if it does exist then it's a personal pathology and you can go to a psychotherapist or a psychoanalyst for it or you can consume to get rid of it Mm. and Mm. everything all pain is expressed at the level of the individual and born at the level of the individual rather than being seen as a cultural phenomenon that has its own aesthetic and its own spirits that are connected to it, whether you understand spirits in a kind of mystical animist way or in a, in a more kind of postmodern. Hegelian sense. Exactly. Just, just in the sense, just in the sense of zeitgeist. I mean, that, I, I, I'm not against spirituality in any sense. Um, but when I look out of the world, I'm amazed enough by the way material constructs, um, form geists of their own, as it were. You can you can almost you can see the qualia around things. If you, it, Such a good point. It, it, this it, is... you can you can app, you can apprehend the metadata, and for me, that's a kind of materialist spirituality. Fair enough. That's such an interesting point. It reminds me of of, of the idea of the machinic phylum uh, of of the Landa, where it says that technologies produce descendants and have a lineages, and. You know, you spoke of, uh, of of the guy who chopped his own fingers and he wanted to play the guitar. So mm. that, that that sort of self mythologizing event that occurs in that in that time of history and and, and the core of the postmodern era um, is has has its antecedents as, in the form of industrial society. Yeah, and absolutely. In in, that, in in Blake's dark satanic mills. Mm in Crowley's magic and, and the, yeah. maybe what, I, what I'm, what I'm sort of trying to get at is that these things end up, um, you know, black Sabbath and, and occultism profoundly. Uh, there, there's deep connections in there in the, in the, in the, in the, the packs of, of Faust, um, which is in a way so connected to the mythos of metal. And it feels like as, as we approach the digital age and leave the sort of, you know, from 45 to, to 2000, more analog but yet already industrialized age feels like the the emergences that might become possible uh they're very interesting i mean in in the same way that metallica and metal and and this this very interesting anecdote of the guy chopping off his own fingers at the mill in brighton at the factory like what's the analog of that as we move towards the digital age where do you see the lust and the spirits of metal now that you know, we've outsourced the dreamscape is is up there, and we live sure. in it. I'll I'll point to two musical examples for this. The one of the most interesting bands to come out of the last decade that are incredibly heavy but not metal are Death Grips. In Death Grips, the the industrial hip hop band, I see they've been able to take heaviness and they've been able to take this fascination with the arcane. And they've um, 
and they put it right back into hip hop in this very new way that, that yeah it manages to capture all of that that rage and that power but it is so much bound to the terms of the internet and and the discourses of the internet that it's inextricably linked so that's one, you, that that's yeah. one example of the, of the way that metal has been able to kind of um you know provide its own um you know, musical elements to other genres. It's become something that's identifiable. Heaviness is now something that people can see. The other thing, uh, the other example I wanted to point to is is Deaf Heaven, who are a, uh, who kind of, they're, they're a major exponent of what's called black gaze, which is black metal plus shoegaze. And what we've seen there is the radical transformation of black metal from, um, a from from a culture that's obsessed with the rural past or a borderline like feudal or or a, or or Norse past to something that can completely handle the present moment and industrialized surroundings and is able instead to look at the city as the forest that uh, Norwegian black metal bands would have considered. You know, they're looking to the wastelands, they're looking to the forests to to inspire their metaphors. They're talking about nature, they're talking about having their hands bitten off by frostbite all the time. Mm. Death Heaven look at New York and see the skyscrapers as the forest. This is the jungle that we have to walk within now. And we still feel this, like, radical absolutist pain and suffering that runs through all of black metal but we're able to link it back to this hyper modern hyper connected hyper uh sensationalist world that we live in now so i i think as we step into the 2020s metal is still evolving there's, we've we've covered so much, and to an extent, lots of the major genres have become saturated almost because you can you can find twenty five stoner bands that all play the same kind of riff and have the same kind of tone. It's very easy to do, but I don't think that we're done by any means. I think in, in across the next decades, we're going to see even more collaboration with hip hop and electronic into metal. Metal's going to become something that un is unmoored from other musical cultures and in, and it and will be a musical world in the same way that jazz or classical is a whole musical world with an entire musical vocabulary that other genres pull on just as much as we pull on them and that and that and that will and and that i think uh demonstrates just yeah just how adaptable and how kind of flexible the form is I have one final question, Owen, if you allow me. Um, yeah, who yeah. has, in your view, taken the testimony of metal's aggression and anti-normativity, musical or otherwise, as a movement? Who, which one person best exemplified this? Not a, could be a person, could be a movement, could be a musical act, could be whatever you come up with. You're, that instinct you are asking aggression. me, what is the most metal? Is what you're asking. Exactly. Yeah? What, exactly. Is the most, what is the most metal? Well, that changes all the time because sometimes I'll read a news story and go, that's pretty fucking metal. And then sometimes 
I'll drop um, a juice carton on the floor, or I'll drop my glass, and I'll go, God damn, that was pretty metal. The, mo- the thing that is most metal... Oh, I don't... I couldn't begin to answer that. There, there are things that are incredibly metal in every experience, in every object. Every object is partial, as Deleuze would have it. And therefore, because all objects are partial, all objects contain bits of other objects. All objects have metal in them somewhere. The kind of conceptual metal, the heaviness, that, that thing. Heaviness. That, that thing that is the gut punch when you yeah. hear the riff, that thing that when you see a terrible event happen, you go, oh, fuck. It's a vi- that visceral reaction, that is in everything, and it is up to us as metal wizards to go and locate it. So no, I don't know. Horn bit the head off a bat. That was one thing. That's very... Chinese guy comes along and eats a fucking bat and gives the world a pandemic. Right, that's way more metal. That's so metal. Do you know how you know how metal that is? That guy's demos aren't even released. <laughs> At least Ozzy Osbourne got out on a major. This guy never even made demos, and he is he's known throughout the world, man. That's heavy as fuck. Yeah, we'll <laughs> right. guys, I think we need to leave it there. Okay, well, thank you very, very much, David. That was fucking awesome, man. We should talk about it, man. I'd love to come back if you guys want to. Um, yeah, if uh, can I quickly plug? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, um, uh, you can find my academia by searching my name, David Burke um, Academia. Um, I've got several articles on there. I also write for a zine called Astral Noise, and um, hopefully in a couple of months I should be starting um, a doctorate, uh, going over attempting to uncover the metal ideology and once i start doing that i should be starting to create my own video and audio content as well i should i should start making a podcast and that kind of thing too yeah man so, i think you should have a podcast i think you could have a really cool podcast yeah I, I, it's been something i've been floating around for a while but uh yeah thank thank you so much for this guys this, this is the first one i've been on. i really really enjoyed it great to catch up with you owen as well one, like long time no see we should do something sometime yeah for sure brother all right well, Thank Thank you very, very much. Peace, guys. Take care. Bye. 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 Hello, people, once again. And if you made it this far, well done. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you like what we're doing, then please consider supporting us on YouTube and on your podcast app sharing the content round and talking to people about it. And also consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash technosocial so we can keep growing the show. Ciao.